Please open with me to John chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 16. Please pray with me. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift your name high. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, this morning, Lord, we pray that we would know your character. We pray that we would stand steadfastly upon you and your grace. Lord, we pray that you would be present with us this morning as the good shepherd. We pray that you would bind up our ailments. We pray that you would heal us from our sin. We pray that you would send forth your spirit to come and counsel our hearts and do that which we could not do on our own. Lord, we pray that when we are confounded, Lord, by our struggles and by our trials, that you would come and that you would heal us, that you would turn our eyes to your glory and kingship, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. Help me to declare your word faithfully, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 10, 1 to 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own called by a sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. While currently in the world in which we are living, it is evident that we are facing as humans a crisis of identity. We no longer know who we are, where we have come from, or what our purpose is in this life as human beings. We are taught, especially through the media, that the true meaning of life can be found in what we make out of it, in what we think is best for us, and in the unhindered pursuit of all of our desires in the name 
of freedom. But where has this led us? In Isaiah 53 verse 6 we read, And we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The identity crisis we are currently facing in our world is because we have turned away from the Lord and we have sought to find the meaning of life apart from Him and in the pursuit of self, in the pursuit of our desires. We have given into the lie that what is ultimate is our individual autonomous freedom in the way that we want to define it. But in this process, we have lost sight of who we are. We have gone astray. In our text this morning in John 10, we as, his, as God's people are described as his sheep. The Lord is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. He owns the sheepfold to which we belong, where we find life and rest and, and salvation. Where we find that our true identity is ultimately not in who we are or in our desires, but who our good shepherd is and in our relation to him and his relation and care to us and in what his word says about who we are. This morning, Jesus' words remind us that true freedom, salvation and joy come from living in submission to his character and to his authority as the good shepherd. From knowing him, from trusting him, him alone who can bring abundant life and joy. Now, the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John so that we would know as the people of God who Jesus Christ is, what his mission to this world was and is. Hear these words from John 20 verses 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I want to look at the character of Jesus, our good shepherd this morning, under three headings. Firstly, the good shepherd protects, verses 1 to 6. In 7 to 10, we can see that the good shepherd gives abundant life. Then in verses 11 to 16, we see the good shepherd gives his life. So firstly, the good shepherd protects. The context for John chapter 10 this morning is John chapter 9. Jesus has graciously healed a man who was born blind. He sent this man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, if you remember that. And the word Siloam, John tells us, actually means sent. This theme of, of, of Jesus being sent is full, uh, full in the gospel of John. The father looked in pity upon lost and fallen sinners and sent his son to redeem us. And his healing of this blind man represents Jesus as the sent one from God prophesied in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 50, uh, 35 verse 5 to 6, we just get a little glimpse of so many Old Testament prophecies that look forward to the coming of Christ. We read, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the layman leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now the man born blind, we know he not only had his physical sight restored, but he also was given faith to believe in Jesus. He had his spiritual sight restored, a picture of what ultimately Jesus does to every single one of us who come to know him. We were once blind and dead in our sins. 
If you will look, look, look with me at John 9 verse 38. The blind man says this to the Lord. <clears throat> Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So Jesus receives this worship from the blind, the man that was once blind and now sees. But the Pharisees were hardened and they hardened their hearts towards Jesus. They created a works religion of their own and took advantage of God's people for their own selfish gain. And we see that they threw this blind man out of the synagogue in John 9 and condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. The very work that pointed to him as the Messiah. They were hardened and rejected Jesus because of their sin. But there's also another reason in the Gospel of John we find out they did not accept Jesus. They were not of his flock. So the blind man has left the fold of Israel for the flock of the good shepherd, where he now has true sight and true protection. The story of God's mission in this world is his ingathering of a people for himself from every tribe, nation and tongue whom he has chosen and redeemed by the blood of Christ and who, who he is making pure, a pure bride for himself by the Holy Spirit, spotless and blameless. And so now Jesus has come here in John chapter 10 as the one prophesied throughout the Old Testament until finally he arrived, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, born under the law at the right time to bring redemption. You can think about so many other prophecies. He fulfilled. So when Jesus arrives on the scene here in John chapter 10, he has all of the right credentials. And that's what we see in John 10 verse 2. If you will look there with me. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the rightful shepherd. Whereas the religious leaders of Jesus' day are thieves. And robbers, they were harming and taking advantage of God's people. Now Jesus tells us this illustration. It's an illustration in verses 1 to 5 to show us the characteristics of the thief versus the characteristics of the shepherd. The thief has no claim on the sheep and has to therefore resort to sneaky, underhanded ways to get into the flock. In the first century, a sheep pen would have usually been open at the top. You could see the sky and the stars from it with walls around it, or it could have been bushes that had walls around it with one gate at the front that had a, that had a gatekeeper guarding the gate. So the fact that the thieves are climbing over the wall shows that they are coming to bring trouble. And they are bypassing the gatekeeper, which is perhaps in this illustration, God the Father. And so we see that the Pharisees, like wolves, they've jumped over the walls, they've bypassed the gatekeeper, for all, and for all their religious pretension and, and pretending, they are not qualified. They have not been called and commissioned by God the Father. They have not been authorized by Him. If you will look down to verses 12 to 13, Jesus also refers to these false shepherds as hired hands. Jesus calls the Pharisees hirelings in contrast to his goodness they are wicked they are false they lack commitment and concern for the sheep because their real interests lie not in sheep but what in they can get out of the sheep whether it was riches or prestige or self-improvement or even fame as we know of the pharisees in the first century but the true shepherd is not like that what does jesus say of the true shepherd look at verses three to five <clears throat> 
To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So this good shepherd goes before the sheep to lead the way and to protect the way. He protects the sheep, guards the sheep and puts his life on the line for them. Unlike what we may think of sheep and shepherds today, there were no lush fields of grass stretching on for miles or a sheep herder from behind herding the sheep, maybe using a staff with a, with a sheep dog, getting the sheep to try and obey him. In Jesus' context, much of the land was dry and arid and mountainous. And in that context, even still today, the shepherd walks in front of the sheep because of the dangerous pathways around the mountains. The sheep know that the shepherd will lead them in the right path and they trust in him. And if they had to fall down the side of the mountain, go into an abyss, go astray, the shepherd will go down and pick them up and put put the sheep behind him on the path. He will continue walking in these paths and they will follow him because they know that he's walking in the paths of righteousness. So in, uh, and, and, and when the sheep, when all the, these sheep see for miles as dry, arid land, the shepherd knows where the oasises are. He knows where those lush, green, fertile uh, gr- uh, grass is where he can take the sheep. They can be restored and, and filled. And so the sheep listen to this shepherd. They trust him, and his character and his love for them. This is the kind of shepherd that Jesus is for his people. He knows the right way to lead us. He knows the right paths to take us. And so we can trust him and follow him. So the defining characteristic of this shepherd is his love and his protection for the sheep. He is omniscient, omniscient over our lives. When we feel like we don't know which path to take, what decision to make, he knows how to lead us in the way that is right. We can follow behind him because he is going before us, opening the way, leading us in the way that is right. The Lord's mission is that he has sent his son into this world to gather in his chosen sheep and to give them new life, to show them, to show us that our true identity is in relation to him and our dependence on this good shepherd, this Lord that goes before us and leads us. That is why it is so important for the local church to have a strong expository ministry. When Christ's word is preached, his sheep hear his voice, they respond and they grow and they follow him. And so may we as the people of God run to the word, read it, meditate on it, abide in it and listen to it. May we let the words of Christ destroy our spiritual pride and our man-made Traditions, the things that plague the Pharisees that so often plague our hearts. We need this word of Christ to lead us to him, the good shepherd. Do you believe this morning uh, that, that the voice of this shepherd can lead you in the only way that is right? In a world that is so full of distractions, so full of things that say, this is going to satisfy you. This is the next great thing that's going to give you Uh, joy and contentment do you believe that this voice of the good shepherd is truly satisfying and truly good and the only way that brings good life
Pharisees did not understand this illustration which Jesus just told because they ironically were those who were hardened and blind and man-centered. They were puffed up with knowledge and completely ignorant of God's character and His love even though they claimed to be from God. So a claim to be from God doesn't necessarily mean that a religious leader is from God and we see that in this text. Now, to our, to our second point, this good shepherd brings abundant life. <clears throat> so Jesus now clearly explains the illustration which he told in verses 1 to 5. He's telling the, he's telling the Pharisees, so uh, in case you didn't get what I clearly said in 1 to 5, here we go. I am the door. I am the gate of the sheep. I am the way in which the sheep can come in and find rest and find life. With this third I am saying in the Gospel of John, Jesus is making an astounding statement. He's not only identifying us, uh, identifying himself, sorry, with Yahweh uh, from the Old Testament, but showing us that he himself is the sole and exclusive way to salvation. We look at verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will find, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Salvation and life is found in no other name but through Jesus Christ and faith in him. Those who were saved before the cross, those who are saved after the cross are all saved through the one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood of atonement through the cross. When I was studying my undergraduate at, a, at, at Stellenbosch University, I, had, I took an elective class one semester that, that I thought might be interesting called Anglican Church History. The professor was a visiting professor and also an Anglican priest in the church uh, in South Africa. And he was telling us the story one day of when he was doing his PhD here in the U.S. Uh, and and he, was, he was visiting a church that he used to go to there. He was telling us, how wonderful it was that the church which he visited stripped its auditorium of pews and replaced it with carpets so that Muslims from the area could come and worship God with him. Well, he started to notice the concern on my face and on the face of my friend next to me. And he leaned over and he asked us what the problem was. And we responded that it was not possible to worship God together since Jesus is the only way to the Father. He paused for a moment and leaned in further and said this to us. Do you really believe that? Friends, we must reckon with this question, which is very quickly becoming more and more pertinent for the church. Do we really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? As he says in John 14, verse 6, No one comes to the Father through me. Acts 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must hold fast to the sole exclusivity of Christ for the way of salvation. He doesn't need our gimmicks, our wisdom. He is simply seeking for those who will be faithful to the gospel and bear witness to him in this world even when it is costly. What is at stake is nothing less than eternal life. Christ, eternal life. And he is seeking for pastors who will feed his sheep with the food of his word. 
So if we walk through this door, we will find rest and salvation and joy and forgiveness. You will find pasture, my friend, if you come to Jesus, the good shepherd. You will find that your true identity is not wrapped up in the world or in yourself, but in the good shepherd and his saving grace and in what his word says about you. That you were fearfully and wonderfully made in his image as male or female, made to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And when you find that there are desires in your life that you know are contrary to his word, that your identity is not in those desires, but in the fact that you've been blood bought by Christ and purchased by him. So in verse 10, we see that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy So Jesus now points back to the demonic activity of the false religious leaders. They were killing, they were stealing, and they were destroying. They were wringing the life out of God's people and bringing them into bondage and ultimately leading them into hell because they were leading them away from God's chosen way of salvation. And Satan was ultimately behind the destruction of the religious leaders leaders in Jesus' day. In John chapter 8, we know that Jesus told the Pharisees that they were of their father, the devil. Either you are of the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ or of a child of wrath, of the devil. They thought their identity was sheep, God's people, when they had actually rejected God's rule, his reign, his statutes, his laws, and replaced it with themselves. Their agenda, their ideas, their ideologies. And in the same way, it is Satan who is behind the cultural destruction of our day and much of the confusion we see in the church. He has come to steal, to steal holiness, innocence, true life, joy, love, and peace. He has come to kill, to reap divisions, instigate people to sin, and to lead them away from the true hope that is found in Jesus. He has come to destroy, to poison the church with false doctrine, to lead young people astray and into destructive lifestyles that eventually lead to their ruin and their hardening against Christianity. We see much of that in our culture today. And the ultimate thief, Satan, is using false pastors and shepherds to continue his mission to steal, kill, and to destroy, to blind people from seeing true and abundant life in Jesus What do they do? They promise prosperity, but only offer disappointment. They proclaim peace, peace, where there is no peace, and many are on their way to an eternal hell apart from the knowledge of the gospel. They tell us to trade our heavenly citizenship for a humanistic doctrine of an earthly utopia. They tell us that it is okay to find our identity in our sinful desires instead of in the good shepherd who came to free us from those very desires. And so they proclaim freedom and tell people, this is what's going to set you free and give you true freedom, but it's disguised as bondage because they're leading people away from the Son who truly sets us free and gives us eternal life. And so it's a facade of freedom, but really it's bondage. Ultimately, they trade the unsearchable and ineffable riches of Christ and his glory and his gospel for a man-made, man-centered version of Christianity. 
Hear these words from Jeremiah 23, verses 1 to 4, if you want to turn there with me. Jeremiah 23, 1 to 4. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So the bad news is that there are false shepherds, false pastors, leading people astray. But the good news is that even under the old covenant, the Lord promised that under the new covenant, He will bring in the remnant of His people. They will be fruitful and multiplying. He will set shepherds over them that have been appointed by the Holy Spirit, appointed by the local church, that will care for them, that will counsel them in righteousness, that will bind up their wounds, that will deal gently with them, that will share God's character and His gospel with them. And so what can we learn from this? It is the responsibility of the local church to train up and send out qualified pastors and missionaries. And this can happen when we only when we have faithful under-shepherds who are helping to guard the gate, teaching and exhorting the flock to use the keys of the kingdom given to you, given to the church by the Lord Jesus Himself. When we let go of these things of a biblical ecclesiology, allow the, the church to become susceptible to thieves and to robbers. We allow them to jump over the gates and not come through the door. And so we can see from the state of the church today. Our heart for our local churches should be that there would be havens where the flock of Christ drink from the fountain of living waters through His Word by the power of His Spirit. That they would be outposts, like Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, displaying Christ's glory and all-sufficient worth to a world that He seeks to save, and that we would have under-shepherds uh, that are appointed to care for the church and to love the church with the very love of Christ Himself. So Christ has come that we may have eternal life and that we may have it abundantly more than anything this world has to offer. Eternal life joy and glory forevermore in His presence one day where, when we see Him face to face. But also now, the Lord Jesus gives us the enjoyment of this eternal life in the present, that we can have that abiding in us, that we can enjoy the things of God, fellowship with Him, fellowship with the saints, fellowship through His Word, enjoying His abundant goodness and grace and joy that He offers all of us this morning if we will look to Jesus by faith what a good shepherd we have what abundant life we have in him so that leads us to our final point that this good shepherd gives his life this good shepherd gives his life so Jesus now points to his goodness as the one who lays down his life for the sheep he knows his sheep intimately as we see in verse 15 and through his death he is bringing other sheep into this Flock. This good shepherd has come not only to save us from outside threats, as many shepherds would do for their sheep today, but to save us from our very selves, 
our rebellion, our sin, our bondage, which we've all been born into, and our rejection of the living God. And in laying down his life, he displays his ultimate love and grace by saving us from eternal perdition, by saving us from walking into the slaughterhouse of eternal condemnation. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. God obtained the church with his own blood. The death of Jesus, friends, purchased you and brought you into union with him, an everlasting, unbreakable union. Your name is graven on, on his hands. Your name is written on his heart. On that cross, when Jesus laid down his life, he actually bore all of your sins and gave you new life when he rose from the dead, if you belong to him this morning. And he is now our ever-present Lord at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, watching over us, caring for us, leading us in the way that is right, defending us from thieves and from robbers and leading us in the paths of righteousness. He is the true and the good shepherd. Now this word good here that we see in verse 11 really refers to Jesus as being noble or excellent. He is set apart from everyone else. He is cut from a different cloth. It points to Jesus as our benevolent ruler, leading the way and protecting us and caring for us. Friends, children, Jesus is strong and able to protect you, to ward off thieves and robbers and to care for you. And Jesus saves his flock, as we saw now, by doing the very thing that might expose them, dying not to save us from an outside threat, but to save us from ourselves, from our sin. The world believes that all of our threats are external. And that's not completely untrue, right? We have external threats, but that's not the whole truth. It believes that all of our solutions, therefore, to these external threats should be should address these external threats. And that is a further part of why the church is in the state that it is today. They say just focus on politics, just focus on social issues, just focus on economics. Maybe we'll come right. Where has this led us? We have moved away from what the great Puritan John Owen would have called the death of death in the death of Christ and are preaching humanistic, moralistic, man-made ideologies and solutions. What did Owen mean when he said the death of death in the death of Christ? Well, he was echoing the words here in John 10 that Jesus actually accomplished the salvation of his chosen people, the abolishment of death forever, and the eternal security of those who would place their faith in him. Do you feel discouraged in your work, in your walk with Christ this morning? Friends, he is holding you fast. He is keeping you. He is looking after you. This Lord and Jesus took on human flesh. He lived the perfect life, fully obeyed God's law on our behalf. And when he went to the cross, he took all of our sins, past, present, and future, and the wrath of God that was due those sins. And he rose on the third day. And when he did that, he brought about our justification and gives us his very righteousness as a gift to stand blameless before the Father. He imputes it and 
gives it to your account and takes your sin upon his shoulders. He gives you a perfect robe of righteousness, a spotless robe, so that if you have trusted in Jesus, when the Father looks upon you, he sees his Son, the perfect righteousness of his Son. And he has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now in verse 15, we see that Jesus has an intimate relationship with his sheep. Through his work on the cross, he's bringing us into union with him. And he compares this very relationship that he has with that of the Father. As the Father knows the Son, as the Father loves the Son, as the Son loves the Father, so Jesus loves us. How amazing is that? The salvation that this good shepherd has given to us lacks Nothing in the same way that the love the Father has for the Son lacks nothing and can never end and never be broken by anything. Do you live in a place of knowing and resting in who Jesus is, not only as the Good Shepherd, my friends, but as your Good Shepherd? Have you felt Him leading you in and out through the gate, feeding you with the good pastures and satisfying your soul? Can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Friends, this shepherd is good, good, good. Nothing and no one comes close to the character and power of this good shepherd and his care for the sheep. Who would you rather have ruling over you? The lords of this earth with their eye, with their, with their sinful rods? Or the good shepherd with his staff and his iron rod that wards off the thieves and the robbers and his gentle caring rod that cares for his people. This shepherd will never forsake you and abandon you. He will watch over you through the most difficult circumstances in life. His eye will always be upon you to lead you and to guide you in the way that is right. His worth is all satisfying, never ending and overflowing and his goodness is sweet and will follow you all the days of your life as you look to him. Friends, here is the fountain of living waters. Here is true joy, true life, true peace. Not in the promises of this world that will come to an end. So I just want to look at verse 16 here to end off. This is just such an amazing verse that Jesus uh, says here that's part of his discourse as the good shepherd when we've turned to him and his goodness then we should then we should call those who are around us and trying to find their identity in the things of this world to repent and see that there is a good shepherd in heaven who offers them true joy and eternal life that this world cannot and jesus gives us the precedent of the great assurance and and a, a foundation that we can have for evangelism in verse 16 what does he say he says i have other sheep that are not of this fold i must bring them also and they will listen to my voice they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one sh one shepherd so the Lord Jesus has his blood-bought sheep that still need to come into his flock, as we see here in verse 16. And when we take the gospel to them, they will hear his voice, they will respond to the shepherd's voice, and they will come in. Why? Not ultimately because of our abilities or capabilities to perfectly articulate the gospel at every point, and we should seek to get the gospel right at every point. 
but because Jesus said that he laid down his life for his sheep. And in his laying down his life for them, and in his rising again for them, he secured their redemption. There is not one of his sheep over whom Christ does not cry, Mine! There is not one sheep that will go missing or that will go lost. They are beloved of Christ, chosen by him and awaiting the call of the gospel, whether it's on the furthest ends of the Himalayas or in the deepest, darkest parts of the Amazonian jungle. They are there. Romans 10, 14 to 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of, of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Brother and sister, Jesus wants to use us, the church, as the means to bring in his sheep into his church, to share the gospel. And he will use you as you go out and share of what he's done in your life. And so this text gives us great assurance of our salvation if we have faith in Jesus because of who his character is, of his everlasting love for us in the new covenant. And it also gives us a wonderful foundation for reaching the lost for Christ, that his people are there scattered abroad, as Caiaphas, uh, John tells us after Caiaphas' prophecy in John eleven fifty to 52 and they will come in as we go out and preach the gospel. So to, to end off this morning, I want to ask you, ask you this. Where has Jesus, the one for us, for our salvation, or the one sent for us and for our salvation, sent you? Where, what are the spheres of influence he has placed you in to make his name known? Think of the, think of the Gerasene demoniac that was saved by Jesus. The legion of demons was cast out of him and he was... <clears throat> He was in his, after he was, after the legion of demons was cast out, he was in his right mind. This man went, and what did he go? He went to the surrounding cities and he, he, he said all that Jesus had done for him. Go and share what Jesus has done for you in, in whichever way Jesus has impacted your life. And that will be a blessing to unbelievers around you and open up doors by the Holy Spirit's power to make Christ and his glory known. And the same one who sends us out this morning to testify about him also says this, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a salvation in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that lacks nothing. Lord, we confess this morning our often coldness of heart towards the glorious truths of the gospel Lord, our coldness of heart towards those who are lost and perishing around us. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, through the gospel, you would graciously grant us, Lord, desires that are in line with your word. Hopes and joys, Lord, for the future and for your saving grace among your people and churches and the praise of your name among all the nations, Lord, that are in line with your word. We pray, Lord, that your word and your, the knowledge of who you are as the Good Shepherd would sit with us deeply this morning this week, this year, and that, Lord, you would go before us to make your name known and to rest in you and delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen.